We're picking up our uh, Kingdom and Culture series uh, today. Just something I want to uh, mention to you. I, I forgot to mention this in the first service last Sunday. I, I mentioned it to the second service at 11 o'clock. Um, the pastor's forum that we were planning to do on uh, November 1st here, uh, we're, we're going to set that aside for now. We didn't get in near as many questions as we hoped we would, and so for us to just kind of like sit here and have, you know, one one or two questions to answer wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be a great spot. But um, we're planning on having more Q&A opportunities in the future, and uh, I'll let you know when those are happening. So just don't show up here tomorrow night uh, expecting us to, uh, to be here answering questions. We're, we're doing this series as a way of working out what it means to follow Jesus, being citizens of the kingdom of heaven while we are residents of Canada. And the fact that there is a, a culture that we're immersed in that, that may sometimes align with the culture of this kingdom, and sometimes there's going to be discontinuity, there's going to be rub, there's going to be conflict with the culture we're part of and the culture of the kingdom. We're working off two basic definitions that when we talk of the kingdom of God, we're talking about where God is present and where life is lived his way, and the culture is the way we do things around here. They're not always the same. We're going to be talking about a phenomenon in our culture today that uh, has, has kind of been termed cancel culture. Now, cancel culture is part of kind of this online uh, reality of, of outrage that we experience uh, in, in our day and age with the reality of social media and its prominence. And this is how uh, dictionary.com uh, defined it. I went to all kinds of def different definitions, but I found this one probably hit it most clearly. Cancel culture is the popular practice of withdrawing support for public figures and companies after they've done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. Now, if, if this is your first time hearing about cancel culture, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you spend uh, a bunch of time on Twitter, maybe you're part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> Let me just give you a, a few examples this morning of, uh, of some, some clear kind of public examples of, of what we've seen with, with cancel culture. Uh, one that's been a prominent example that I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, J.K. Rowling has been quote unquote canceled. Um, she, if you don't know who she is, is the author of the ever famous Harry Potter series. Um, the, the kind of woman who went from broke to best-selling author in the world and is worth a billion dollars now. Uh, but she, she, in some interviews and, and on Twitter, had expressed her discomfort with some of the, the, the trans movement in how, how her, as a feminist, is, is uncomfortable with, with people who were not born women identifying as women and some of the struggles there, and particularly with the, the situation of when uh, Caitlyn Jenner uh, was on um, Time Magazine as Woman of the Year, or Glamour Magazine, I should say. She spoke out and saying, women have experienced different kinds of struggles, and to, um, to be Woman of the Year in, in the midst of this, uh, she found kind of objectionable. Um, she's also spoken out on some of the language around um, how we say birthing people or people who are pregnant or menstruating people rather than, rather than women. Um, and she's 
faced severe backlash from that. In fact, many of the fans who grew up with Harry Potter uh, are now kind of throwing her to the fire. And there's been this interesting movement of people, how can we love the Harry Potter we grew up with but distance ourselves from its author? We uh, also, for those of us who are Star Wars nerds, so we're going from Harry Potter to Star Wars, uh, Gina Carano, she, uh, she played a character in the new Mandalorian series on Disney+. Plus. It is like the revitalization of Star Wars. For those of you who are like Star Wars fans, who weren't happy with the prequels, who weren't happy with the sequels, the Mandalorian has kind of been the saving grace of Star Wars owned by Disney. Anyway, uh, Gina Carano played a, a character in the Mandalorian series in the, in the first couple seasons, but early on in the pandemic, she began tweeting some controversial things about COVID, uh, some, some unpopularly held opinions about it, and there was outrage online, which led to her being let go by Disney and is no longer going to be in The Mandalorian. Uh, Dave Chappelle recently, uh, listen, you're never going to hear a preacher endorse Dave Chappelle from the pulpit. <laughs> That's not my intention this morning. He is a, a, a comedian who I can in no way endorse his comedy specials from the, from the pulpit. But of all the objectionable things he has said, there, there have been jokes recently, particularly about the LGBTQ community, um, that have caused immense outrage, and his specials on Netflix have caused uh, Netflix employees to, to uh, demonstrate through walkouts, and that they don't see Netflix as a safe space because this comedian is making jokes about the LGBT community uh, through Netflix. And, and now, a lot of his uh, documentary he's been, he's been creating is being dropped by, um, by production companies. And th this is just one very recent example of this. But we see this uh, you know, all over the place. Whether I don't know if it's, there's something about Twitter, but it almost always happens to be on Twitter, where someone's tweets from years ago where they said something kind of objectionable resurface, and all of a sudden they're losing jobs or losing support from fans. It tends to be among the famous, but there's also an undercurrent of it happening among people in workplaces where someone brings up something that someone has done online to an employer or things like that and they can lose jobs. I also want you to know it's not just in kind of like secular celebrity culture. We see it in the church as well. I, I, here's a couple recent examples from the last few years. Back in 2011, Rob Bell, who is a Christian author, came out with a book called Love Wins, where he, uh, he, con he wrote this controversial book where he was kind of opposing the traditional view of hell that, that Christianity has held. And John Piper, a, a, a prominent uh, Christian figure, just wrote this simple tweet, farewell Rob Bell, of like, we can't listen to this guy anymore. Not long ago, uh, John MacArthur, another well-known and respected uh, Christian preacher who, you know, you probably hear him on the Christian radio station if that's what you listen to, was asked at a conference about a woman named um, Beth Moore, who is a, a, a female Bible teacher who is kind of pushing for uh, women to be better represented uh, and, and respected in the Southern Baptist Convention. And when he was asked about her, his one-line response was, go home. We see 
public figures even in Christianity using their influence to dismiss those who they disagree with and shut them down. And there's almost this assumption that if you support me, then you cannot support them. And listen, it's okay to have theological disagreement with people. It's okay to to not be on the same page and, and even find something that someone has done to be offensive. But to leverage influence to be able to dismiss a person rather than engage with their ideas or arguments and say, this is why I disagree, is a whole other thing than leveraging your influence to shut someone down and to quote, unquote, cancel them. Why does this cancel culture exist? Why is this something that we are seeing right now? I think there are, there are three things that, that I'm noticing. First of all is there, is there is an amplified voice of the masses now with the reality of social media. All of a sudden, we are in a world where the average person can project their voice online and be heard by thousands of people. It's interesting that the... the the, the kind of job path that, that young people tend to want these days isn't, oh, I want to grow up and be a movie actor and be famous. It's, no, I want to be a social media influencer. That, that there's this, this uh, realization that these platforms, you are able to have a broader, bigger audience than traditional methods where it was only certain select people whose voices were loud. Now anyone can have a loud voice. That has been both a good thing and a negative thing. We, we've seen the last couple of years just the, the crazy division that that can cause. But also it gives a voice to people whose voices have not been heard in the past. And I think what this, this has done is this amplification of voices has given people who have felt that there has been a lack of, of consequences for people in power to now hear the, 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 the backlash from the masses. Those who have said, well, you know, the rich or the powerful have not been held accountable in the way that they should have for their actions now have a loud voice to be able to amass together and to call them out for what they see as objectionable, objectionable behavior. Some of that I can empathize with, of this desire for justice, this desire for those who have done wrong to be held accountable where they've just been able to slide under the radar before. I also want to make a distinction this morning between what I see as cancel culture and the Me Too movement, if if you've heard of that. Cancel culture, I'm seeing as kind of more a a mob shaming of of what people have found offensive, whereas the Me Too movement has been a, a movement online where women have felt empowered to be able to share how they have been abused in ways where they have not, uh, felt safe to be able to do that in the past. And so there is a space where we need to be able to empower voices to be able to hold those accountable for doing horrendous things like we see in the Me Too movement, where people like Harvey Weinstein, who have taken advantage of female actors to be able to give them careers, can be held accountable for those horrendous and criminal actions. I also see in what we call cancel culture, this desire we have to be the judge. In this empowering of voices, in this reality of wanting people to be held accountable, 
there is a sense of I distrust the means of accountability that are out there in the world, and my form of justice is going to be the right form of justice. Where when I see someone say something that I take offense to or I see as potentially offensive to a particular community, then my form of justice is to amass voices to shut them down and to shame them. We become the ones who are then the judge and the jury and the executioner in the process of trying to hold someone accountable. The problem is, and, and we talked a bit about this last week, is our sense of justice isn't perfect. If, if we have struggled with people in power not being held accountable for, for what they've done, we often react by swinging the pendulum the other way. And we jump to a guilty sentence before fully figuring things out. It can be reactionary. We can be the ones who become executioners. We will be judge, jury, and executioner. And what if that's actually not our place? I want to quote to you from someone else you wouldn't think that I would be quoting in the pulpit. President Barack Obama. In uh, an, an address to the Obama Foundation, he was talking about the reality of cancel culture online. And, and I think he, he's perceptive in what he's noticing. He says, I can't, I'm not going to do an Obama impersonation as I say this. I was thinking about it. It's, it's not going to be good enough. I do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people that this is, and this is accelerated by social media, that the way of making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. That's not activism. That is not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. Out of the desire for justice, out of the desire for change in society, out of the desire to hold those in power accountable, to just be the ones throwing stones or to cancel them out online, it'll have an immediate consequence but probably does not bring the change that is needed. I read an article by Vox that was looking at uh, the reality of cancel culture and even a man who, who was interviewed who, who worked for a publishing agency who was once a big advocate for this, this form of, of cancel culture, of public shaming, is now saying, you know, I would rather switch my tactics to a more restorative form of justice, of how we can actually bring change and not just shaming. Jesus invites us to something different than just public shaming. I want to read to you a story from John chapter 8. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. John says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a base for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think there's some things we can learn about Jesus in the midst of this potentially canceling situation. Where the religious leaders bring this woman who had done something objectionable, something that they wanted to react strongly against and end her life in this situation. But Jesus' response to this attempt at canceling to the nth degree, I think is helpful for us as we look at how we respond to the kind of cancel culture that exists in our day and age. Three things that I, I want to mention. I said three and I put two fingers up. They don't teach you math at Bible college. Three things. Jesus doesn't react hastily. I, I love this detail in the story where they're saying all these things, there's this big hubbub, and he bends down and writes in the sand. We have no idea what he wrote in the sand. The more we try to figure it out, the less helpful it is. But what we do know is he didn't engage in a fighting match with them. He didn't respond quickly and angrily. Whether it was him collecting his thoughts. I remember Gordon telling me of a Christian comedy special he watched one, uh, one time where the comedian said that Jesus was writing down the phone numbers of all of their girlfriends. It's not true. But we know that Jesus didn't respond hastily. He didn't, he, it wasn't reactionary what he did. He probably slowly processed, took in what they were saying, and then responded. And what we see in Jesus' response is this desire for restoration over condemnation. Even though the law rightly condemns this woman, where they could quote chapter and verse where this woman should be stoned, Jesus values restoring her rather than condemning her to death. Imagine if we had Jesus' heart in terms of treating those who we've seen as have done something objectionable or offensive or wrong, that rather than a public shaming or a figurative stoning, our heart was more for restoration. It is also interesting to notice that Jesus is the only one without sin in this situation. He is the one who rightly could have thrown the stone but chose not to. And lastly, Jesus 
I believe, has proper boundaries at the end of this. It isn't just a, okay, you're good, go on your way, but he ends this encounter by saying, go now and lead your life of sin. He tells her, the path that you're on is not healthy for you. It has brought you into these kinds of situations. And so in our desire to see restoration over condemnation, it isn't an endorsement of the behavior. It isn't saying what you did is entirely okay, but it is saying, I want you to experience the kind of renewal and restoration that Jesus can do in you rather than being condemned for what you have done. Go and leave your life of sin. It's also important for us to remember that Jesus himself experienced being canceled. As one who was innocent, who we read never committed a sin, who lived his life as an innocent man, he was wrongly charged, He was taken by a mob. He had those with religious influence uh, influencing a mob to cry crucify him when even the judge said, "I, I don't see any basis for condemning him. He was given a criminal's death on a cross. And I love Peter's words when he writes about what Jesus experienced. In 1 Peter 2, 23, He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is what Jesus' teaching of turn the other cheek actually looks like. When Jesus says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek so that they can slap you there too. It isn't saying that you're going to be a pushover. It says you don't react with insult or with violence. You entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Because Jesus believed firmly that the creator God, his father, is the perfect judge of his creation. He believed rightly that one day there will be a perfect judgment where those who have done objectionable and wrong and hurtful things will experience God's perfect justice. We don't need to be reactionary. We don't need to be the judge, jury, and executioner because our justice isn't perfect but the justice of God is. So what does this mean for us in how we go about situations where we feel like we have experienced offense or we see someone post something objectionable online or or we're noticing something in the life of our family or neighbor or friend that we are tempted to go through the motions of canceling that we see in our culture. First of all, I think we need to, um, in the words of Jesus, check for logs. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. 
for you will be treated as you treat others, and the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Man, we love to judge quickly, but if that same standard was flipped on us, boy. He says, and why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? This is Jesus being funny. It doesn't translate well to us, I guess. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Before we jump on anyone, before we even approach someone about something that we find offensive, we need to do the internal work of making sure we don't have logs in our eyes. It's also important in these kind of situations to realize that the kingdom way is accountability and not mob mentality. That there are proper means of going about holding people accountable or seeking justice. And amassing a mob isn't, isn't the right way of doing it. there are proper avenues of concern. Whether that's within a church structure or in an organization or in our society where we have a judicial system or what have you, there are proper avenues to bring our concerns. A face-to-face conversation with the person that we feel offended by is a proper avenue for concern. Not backed up by a mob online to cancel someone. We also need to ask ourselves, is this an issue of injustice or criminal wrongdoing or or deep offense that needs to be addressed? Or is this just a behavior I don't like about this person? Is this just an opinion that they hold that I don't agree with? And lastly, we need to pray for people to experience the renewal of Christ. No one is good, like we talked about last week. We all experience the corruption of sin in our hearts. And our prayer is for restoration over condemnation, for the the renewing gospel of Jesus to take root in everyone's lives, in yours and in mine, and in the person that offended me, and in Dave Chappelle's, and J.K. Rowling's, and the other girl who I can't remember her name is right now, for us to experience the renewing work of Christ. Even for those who are the ones doing the canceling. We need the work of Jesus. We need a new heart. Because that's the only way that we are actually going to live and experience the justice that we long to see. The way of Jesus is the way of justice. Not the way of our culture or of online anger. That's how we live in the kingdom. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I'm thankful that you are Though, though you're the sinless one who has the right to throw the first stone, you are actually the one who took on our right condemnation for us. 
You bore the consequences of our sin on the cross. You were, to use the language, you were, you were canceled in our place. And Jesus, as we seek to be those who follow your way and live life in your kingdom, even here and now, I pray that we would be those who follow in your way of, of restoration and reconciliation and redemption. Rather than having our own internal sense of justice that is going to fall short. We pray for your mercy to be evident in us because we have experienced your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.